0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Doctor Who Flashcast. Once again, I'm Jason Snell, here talking about an episode of the 10th series of Doctor Who. My guest this time, live from Scotland, it's James Thompson. Hello.
1: I'm not Scottish, I'm just cross.
0: <laughs> it laughed. More, more Scottish uh, dialogue in yes, the I, era I, Doctor Who. I, do, I do
1: like that every now and again. Um, yeah. It's getting slightly stereotyped now, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take
0: it. Is it as stereotyped as the angry eyebrows emoji?
1: <laughs> I, that, I, that was one, my favorite emoji. I was I had written that down.
0: The Capaldi emoji. <laughs> yes.
1: I, I think uh, we should contact a friend of the show, Jeremy Burge, and make sure that there is the angry eye.
0: Yeah, um, I, eyebrow. I, ho- I hope Jeremy... Uh, who lives in London I, and runs Emojipedia. I hope he was watching this episode. Yes, I PD think he TV. will
1: be criticizing their their choices and like, oh, that's not an official emoji. And
0: yeah, yes. well, it's the far future though, right? So emoji has uh, ha- has evolved since since uh, our time. This is, of course, Smile is the episode by Frank Cottrell boyce who previously wrote In the Forest of the Night, A couple years ago where there was a forest in london and uh this in this episode is 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 different this is not 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 the same
1: he also wrote the london 2012 summer olympics opening ceremony he did um yeah i didn't particularly like
0: the in the forest of the night uh and i like this more I liked this much more. I didn't dislike In the Forest of the Night, and that's one of those episodes you could go back and listen to my immediate thoughts after watching it. Uh, I just hated the ending, but I just tried to watch it a couple weeks ago, and I got about 10 minutes in, and I couldn't even mm-hmm. go on, and I I, I dropped out and didn't, didn't go back to it. So, that's not good. That's not a good sign. But he's a, uh, a children's and young adult writer that's he's, he's i believe he's made his name on that too as well as being um, the the author of the uh of the of the opening ceremonies of uh, london 2010 uh he's done a lot of stuff um, and, and and other and other novels and things like he's 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 written a lot of things um, including millions of course ah, yes uh, so smile is uh it's a it's a Doctor Who episode. I mean, one of the things I like about it is I'm not sure what other uh, what other show. I guess I guess in that it's an alien planet, this could have been a Star Trek episode or something like that too because it is the the prototype sort of we pick up we pick up right where we left off and we end going right into the next episode, which is kind of fun. Um but and we should talk about that because how Nardole is used and all of that I think is interesting, but just at a big picture level, the structure of this episode is essentially the TARDIS lands, they have an adventure, and then they leave. And it's a planet, and there's something going on, and they figure it out, and they save everybody, and then they leave, which is, is like the archetype science fiction TV show thing. And it could, they could beam down from the Enterprise to investigate this. Instead, they step out of the TARDIS. But in the end, it, it just it felt comfortable being like I know I know how this goes I know what these episodes are like and I liked I enjoyed that it 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 made me feel warm inside knowing that it was just going to be hey there's a planet let's check it out
1: what I was thinking of was um I was initially thinking well we've got a second companion episode and it's like do they always go to the future for the second Mm -hmm. one and I was like like so, Rose end of the world Martha no it was Shakespeare Donna it was Pompeii yeah. and then Amy and Clara were both in the future yeah. and they were in the future again so it doesn't always fit but there there does seem to be something for the second the second episode as she she bill says herself you know this is my first proper one or something this and, is and,
0: yeah it's very much like uh, paralleling i think the first season with uh, with Russell T Davis and where it's where it was uh, end of the world and then, and then the unquiet dead, and we get a very similar structure here, where we've got contemporary, and then future, and then historical coming next yeah. week, yeah. Which is like it's showing you the range of the show. That makes sense. Um, the okay, so before we get to the planet, let's talk about the TARDIS, and uh, there's a bunch of stuff in here. We get more story arc stuff right for 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 season 10 series 10 which is you took an oath uh, not to leave and to guard the and, and to guard the vault and not leave the planet and then later he describes that in detail bill asked for more detail there and so later he says a thing happened and, uh, and there was this other thing and i made a promise to guard the vault <laughs> so completely yeah. vague we don't know anything about it he's purposefully vague and the f- and the framing sequence that i'm wondering how many episodes this is a framing sequence of is Nardole which he, which the doctor refers to as mum comes in and says you can't leave says all right go upstairs I'll, I'll bring us upstairs put the kettle on and then the whole idea here is all i have to do is return to when he's putting the kettle on and we'll be fine i can do all of this in the meantime and be irresponsible um and mm-hmm. and that's that's i don't know whether that's just this episode and then it turns out in the next episode or whether this will continue on for longer in the season i mean nardole has to has to show up again eventually but it may well, there- be a while there was no sign of him in the trailer for the next episode, no. as in being on the
1: adventure. So it it does make sense that, you know, if he's been told not to leave the planet he, as well, then yes, he's he's just sort of wandering around making tea
0: in the background for the yeah, entire and, series. And I, I read... Um I read an interview with Stephen Moffat in, I think, Doctor Who magazine, which your wife bought for me when I was visiting you. (laughs) I read it cover to cover. It was great. There was a lot. I I have forgotten how long magazine articles are. It's great. It's much longer than the web. Um, And and he said that they wanted... um, they wanted Bill and the doctor to have some time together. So they didn't want Nardole kind of in the way when they're forming their relationship. And so you can see that in the structure from the outside. From the inside, this is a little bit of that kind of Watsonist versus Doyleist. you know, do you view the story from the outside or the inside? But either way it works. Like from the inside, uh, the doctor wants to, shirk his vow and so nardole is sort of left behind so that he can run off with bill and because nardole is going to hold him to his oath from the outside perspective as a writer you want to give these characters time to spend together to bond and nardole is not the most important character and he already has an existing relationship so we sideline him for a couple of stories either way it makes sense i think
1: yeah. And I mean, the, the, there wasn't much to this story. So there, there was enough space yeah. for them to actually talk to each other and and form more of a bond, as you say.
0: That's one of the things I liked about this story the most is actually both of those things. I like that there's space. I really like that there's space. It does end in a rush, which... Probably wasn't necessary, although that is sort of a trait of Doctor Who is that then there is the sudden wrap up and everything's done. But I liked the space and I also liked the space because it led to some good character dialogue where Bill throughout the episode is like processing the doctor and figuring out his tricks and asking him questions. And so it's a combination of us kind of enjoying her recognizing parts of the show like, oh, this is the show that I'm on, basically, Mm. and also asking questions that we all might want to ask him about why he behaves the way that he does. And I loved all of that when she, you know, realizes a police box and the signs on the police box and says, you're like the, you know, you're the one who goes from planet to planet. And we're all sitting there going, yes, that is exactly who he is. He's like, no, that's not me. I loved all of that.
1: Yes, I like the line about she's saying that he's a policeman And he says, no, I'm not And she says, well, you live in a police box And he goes, oh, a no, complete coincidence yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, How
0: yeah, much so does it I mean, cost, too? I don't yeah. know, I stole it <laughs> oh, That's good Um, yeah, yeah, they they had just the the back and forth that they had. I liked a lot of the back and forth that they had about, about what he's doing. Uh, her line about you're an awesome tutor was also good. Like he's, he gets to be, he's, she's seen him as the professor in all these cases and, and, and tutoring her and all of that. But now, now the instruction really begins because he's an expert at all of this stuff. And he's, you know, now, now she really realizes how good, he is, because now he's in his element. And I really liked that change in the in her perception of him and as she's asking him questions. It was really good.
1: Yeah, I liked her in the TARDIS at the beginning, sort of questioning things like why did you put the seats there? and things like you can't reach the controls. And you know, just just the little yeah. things and and I do wonder if that came those came out of like conversations with the set designers later, you know, where they were like, <laughs> Why did you put the seats there?
0: That's the... I mean, I think the idea is that the TARDIS takes no time to travel anywhere, so there's no need to sit while you're piloting it. You just kind of flip the switch and you go where you're going to go and you don't need to sit down. The seats are for kind of hanging around. Um, Well, he
1: he has like a standing desk. It's good for his back.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's not adjustable. You can't pull up a chair, but uh, you, you should probably stand anyway. I also like, and this is something that I think most longtime fans would agree with, but has only... Only occasionally is cited in the text of the show, and I think most notably in uh, The Doctor's Wife, which is that the TARDIS doesn't take the doctor, always take the doctor where he tries to go. But it takes him where he needs to go, and in this episode, you get very clearly a restatement of that that I thought was pretty, which is you don't steer the TARDIS; you negotiate with her. And mm-hmm. and he says something about how it takes you to this place that is somewhere between where you want to go and where you're needed, and I, I and that's the show, right? I mean, that is that is the explanation in in universe. That's the explanation for why the TARDIS goes where it goes. Is it doesn't always go where he wants, but it goes where he's needed and where as we know, and where there's a story, because I, I did, it's a show.
1: Yeah. I did think it was interesting <laughs> that, you know, he said that he stole it. Um, and this somewhat contradicted in The Doctor's Wife, where the TARDIS thinks that um, uh, she stole him. Right. And he, well, he obviously hasn't accepted this as, as no. truth. But I did expect the TARDIS to some, to make some
0: noise at that point, <laughs> and at least disagree. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, I liked uh, that was that that was all really good. I liked the Nardola's mom, the kettle on thing. I love that idea. That's a pure time travel idea. Like we can get back to it. And and the question I have is: Is that going to pay off? Where. They, because it didn't happen at the end of this episode, where they emerge and they're back in his office and Nardal's got the tea and they're like, Yeah, we nailed it. Or is it going to pay off that they totally miss and something bad has happened and the doctor's irresponsibility has been called out? I'm okay either way. It'll be fun to see either way, but I like that yeah. it's, it's just hanging there because of time travel. It, it can hang there for weeks and we won't know the answer. <laughs> um, okay, so the, let's talk about the planet um, that they go to. I love the look of this episode. And I had to, while it was on, I had to Google hmm. Doctor Who's smile location. And fortunately, yes. the uh, knowing that I would do that, the Radio Times posted a story today <laughs> that, that is visit Doctor Who's spectacular colony world in Valencia, Spain. So, in Valencia, Spain, there is a museum that is the City of Arts and Sciences um, it's the cultural complex of Valencia. It is a Santiago Calatrava designed... Uh, opera house that looks like a spaceship and an IMAX theater that looks like a giant eye and a science museum that looks like an aircraft hangar and that is the thing that that is where they shot this and I had a moment while we were seeing like the fields of wheat which I also really liked with the tracks Mm. and then behind there's this crazy city and at first you're thinking okay it's going to be like New Earth or something like that where the CGI city and then we'll immediately go inside and never see it again right and that's not what happens because that's a real place to the point where I was sitting there going where is th- where is this <laughs> place that looks like this because it's so weird and interesting and it's in all of these shots so it looks great and that's the answer is it's a uh, it's a museum in spain <laughs> go go yeah. figure i loved it
1: and probably some power plant in cardiff or something yeah, for that, the, the second half
0: that made me laugh there is that moment where they unlock the door and go into the uh, the, the spaceship part and and it's all covered in dialogue, which I really liked. And that made me enjoy it even more, which is like, there's the beautiful part on the outside that the robots made. And there's the really ugly part on the inside that the humans made. And that that's totally fitting. And yeah, that is absolutely a, probably a terrible power plant somewhere or a warehouse or, I mean, or it's their set built to look like that. But either way it is. Yes. We've left Spain at that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it it's, um, Beautiful setting. Loved it. Love that there's so much of it in the episode. Um, There's something about a, you know, it's an alien planet. There's nobody on it. There's a mystery. There's wide open spaces. There's a beautiful city. Like, just from an image and like a tone perspective, that really hits me that's my i love that stuff that's that's uh, you know that, that that for me is like science fiction television like at its best is that moment of like i feel like here we are this is a really interesting alien world it's a it, and, and what's going on it's just very exciting um and then we meet uh some robots some cute robots with emoji well, faces
1: we had a the, there was the, the the one scene before that which oh. was the 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 two people the farmers yes. or whatever they you would call them uh the preparers
0: and, yes the gardeners
1: yes. and one uh comes to the other and sort of says you know you have to come back something's going wrong and uh you know delivers the 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 you know everybody's dead yeah. speech with mom, a, f- a forced
0: grin mom is dead smile everybody's dead smile the uh, and, great, great opening, right? That's a horror movie kind of open. You gotta, you gotta have that. That sets the mystery.
1: Uh, one of those people being, I think it was Mina Anwar, who's who was Geeta in Sarah Jane Adventures. Oh. Uh, so keeping it in the family.
0: Sure, absolutely. Um,
1: but it was the uh, yes, and then I can't, did we actually see it in that scene? Yes, I think it was the swarm comes down, yeah. and we get the, the the pile of bones, which reminded me immediately of the vashta Narada mm-hmm. from. Uh, Science
0: in the library, yeah, uh, this is the robot version of that, i guess yeah yeah i I so. And and this is something that's happened in both of those episodes, which is, it kind of bugs me. I get why they do it, because they want to have you know that the people died, and, and they need to be able to see the bones later. But at the same time, like the perfectly cleaned, immediately aged hmm. bones kind of thing, I always felt like that was cheating, because, you know, you can, it's science fiction, you can say whatever, but it's sort of like, what we what we're left with is our conception of what bits of skeleton look like. And I'm not arguing that there'd be like chunks of body parts and stuff but i kind of feel like i wish i wish it was more like they had dissolved into a into a into dust or dust with little bits of bone than like here's because later when they go and they find the the uh the 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 skeleton parts of the skeleton crew there's like literally just a tray full of skulls (laughs) it's like a little little bit like like from the halloween shop
1: I, I didn't quite understand that. You know, we have these sort of nano machines that can construct anything, and you know, the, the city's built of them. That they needed like a grinding machine to put the bones in to get the yeah. calcium out. It's like can't, couldn't they just like take them apart a bit more and do something nano-y? Right. But, um, but no, having a, a machine that grinding them at least you know gives a a, a good visual. There's some of, me- so, something There's some bad there. happened.
0: Yeah. Yes. It's some some sort of menace there. Um but yeah, that that sets the tone. Um and then when Bill and the doctor arrive, it's all very quiet. And he has lots of theories about what happened on this on this planet. Um the uh she's she's disappointed in the tiny robots that, that are called the Vardy. I Which guess. I looked up, they're named for uh, Doctor Andrew Vardy, who's a
1: professor of swarm robotics in oh. Canada, real person. So that's, that's cool. where the name comes from.
0: So the Vardy are these swarm robots, and Bill is disappointed because she wants a like a proper robot, and uh, then she, then she, uh, we we see these cute emoji smiley face robots. Uh, after the doctor is disappointed in her for being disappointed in the swarm robots, and she's very excited about that. Uh, Leading to a line that is going to go down in history, for those of you who listen to the Robot or Not podcast, at one point, the doctor plays Robot or Not and says, well, technically, that's not a robot at all. (laughs) (laughs)
1: i i had i could not help but have that thought as he said well technically you know this is just the interface and that's the the, they're the robots yes so
0: (laughs) lauren uh, lauren gave me an elbow in the ribs when that happened she's like there you go there it is robots so so clearly we have
1: the 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 next doctor uh, will be unveiled um soon as professor syracuse
0: yeah uh, obviously and he'll just uh, he'll be in the TARDIS explaining what robots are or not. But I like the idea, right? This is the thing we think of as a robot uh, is actually just sort of the interface. The the nanobots are all around us. This is the human scale thing that exists, just to you know, for us to relate to because we're not going to relate to individual members or even like a great swarm. So they create these these servitors that can move things at our scale and serve us um, jello cubes, you know, blue cubes of fish algae stuff and <laughs> I, and things like that
1: I, I did think when she said um that's not a disappointing robot i kind of thought they are a bit disappointing i don't know they well it's very much you know person in a suit robot yeah um and i think uh i looked the credits there were Two people credited as playing them, so I imagine that they had two of the robot suits.
0: Yeah, and then and they, they just did a bunch of, uh, of of different ways to composite them to make it seem. I felt it was good. There are several scenes where you see lots of them, and I felt like they. I was looking sort of like, are these in, in distinct groups of two? And I thought, no, they, yeah. they did a good job to make it seem like they're. Oh, no, lots. no.
1: I mean, they did. I just. The, the design was. Uh, I don't know. I guess they're, they're supposed to be small, you know, so they're, they're unthreatening and they've got their smiley faces and
0: stuff. Yeah, um, I forgave it because I felt like it was that was exactly what was meant. It's meant to be super stylized, friendly, you know, silly little robots. And and they're not they're not meant to be menacing or or threatening or really interesting. They're meant to be just kind of like a big plastic friendly robot. And they they are that. They weren't like the most beautiful design ever. And they seem really clunky in that space, which is so spectacular, the the architecture I, of that place. But
1: I think they wanted them to be Apple robots because there was a number of Apple references hmm. like throughout the thing. Because there was the, you know, there's probably an app for that. And then there was yeah. a Think, Dif- think Different. There was a Think Different, yeah. And it was like, so, you know, because they were white and shiny, I think that, they, they, you know, they were supposed to be the sort of Apple style yeah. robots but i don't think that's how apple's uh killer robots would have been designed no
0: i agree i agree i think they just wanted them to be kind of cuddly and so that they can reach out with their arms as if they're going to hug you but they've got the death face emojis on which again jeremy yeah. berger would say not an emoji it's like a face with some skulls with, in it yeah but yeah you know still it was a that that's a nice letter like a. Combination, so they get they get the little mood buttons, which are kind of cool. And there's a fun moment there where they realize that you know you can't see your own mood, and it's made to so that other people can see your mood. um, And you kind of wear the mood button on on the on your back, so people.
1: Yeah, that felt very Stephen Moffaty to me, and Mm -hmm. I wondered if that was something that he'd come up with as an idea and said. You know, Frank. Here, here you go. <laughs> Write this.
0: Yeah, yes. it's it's the, it's like a little germ of an interesting idea, and you know, a lot of this episode is like a lot of little interesting bits all kind of mixed together. But I thought I thought it worked. I thought I thought that. You know, emoji is fundamentally an expression of uh, of feelings in in a way that gets through a, an interface that isn't good at expressing feelings. And and I feel like this is sort of like taken to the extreme is what this episode is, which is the robots can't express express their feelings either. So that they've got they've got their way of doing it, and then they've made it so that people can um, have this way to express their their mood. It reminded me we, when we were walking through the airport. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, they had that little thing about like. Like, what was your experience like at the airport from the five buttons from sort of super sad to super happy, and that's what they say in the episode. It's like it's like a customer service uh, check is what those buttons are meant to be, which is are are the humans being well served here or not, or should the or should the the robots and and their their little servitor droids uh, take care of that. And fix the problem, which, of course, leads to the solution of the episode, which is somebody dies and everybody, and, and people who knew her are sad. And then uh, so they're killed by the robots and then everybody <laughs> who knew them is sad. And in one morning, everybody who's preparing this space colony for the for the um, the arrival or the the de- Thaw, the thawing the d the dis i don't even know what the word for it is that the disgorging of all of the frozen <laughs> members of the of the society they're all immediately killed uh in one morning by the, the robots because the robots have become this is one of those hazy parts of the episode they become sentient and obsessed with um defining uh unhappiness as uh sort of anything that's not a happy emoji and uh using you know using their, their programming goes bad and it's not necessarily that they're that they're intentionally malevolent it's like they they have defined for them the solution to the problem is to disintegrate anybody who's who's unhappy
1: and then for some reason decide to use them to fertilize um all the food
0: well, and that argument I mean it goes the doctor talks about the magic haddock the parable of the magic haddock and this this is this is the overarching point of the episode is that these robots are kind of dumb and they do these things because they know that it's their role to do these things so their role is to make the people happy and when the people are unhappy they get rid of them which leads to more people being unhappy and they get rid of them and then everybody's gone and they're like okay now there's no unhappy people what do we do oh back to the gardening all right let's go back to it then i I, I understand the idea there that that they are so pr- stupid and programmed uh, about their priorities that they they can lead just like the magic haddock granting the two wishes. That is, you know, I want my son back, and I want money to be here. Is your dead son? We're sorry, he's dead. Here is some money, um, mm-hmm. and that that was yeah. So I I, I get it that that um, it clashes a little bit with the oh, and they became sentient part, which. You know, again, I'm not sure the logic of this episode withstands close analysis, but I'm kind of okay with that because of the the mood of it and the and the and the character interaction. Um because yeah, I'm not sure the the like the reasons why it happened and why they're now sentient entirely add up.
1: I, I did like the, there was a, a reference to, you know, the um the colony would have had a skeleton crew or something, which was a, uh, somewhat of a throwaway, but
0: yes, that did make me laugh. the well, the you know at one point he takes the doctor takes Bill back to the tardis to basically safe keeper, and then he turns around and he's going to go in there and gives them a lot of uh, conversation about who he is and what his role is and how he can't uh, sit aside, and, and one of the things he says is that that place is a giant, smiley abattoir. And yeah. I thought that's great, right? Like this is exactly it, which is this is a machine that's going to kill everybody who approaches it. I can't let it sit here, and but I can. I don't want to put you at risk. And she basically says, "Forget this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come with you." And she follows him in, um, and which he does twice because yeah.
1: he then tries to leave her, leave her next to a map again, right? And uh, on a pretense
0: because he'd already memorized it. Yeah. You are the help. Um, you are the helpline. By the way, she also says, "Don't sentimentalize yeah. me." <laughs> but I, I did. Um, I was just to say, I did like uh, when
1: he was doing his forced smile. He, uh, to me, I just saw Tom Baker everywhere mm. in, in 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 his big grin, uh, and that that pleased me.
0: Yeah, it was one of my favorite things that I like about about the the K Doctor as a character too is that. He's seen it. He's seen it all. I mean, he hasn't seen this particular instance, but he's seen so much that he has this history. And so, as a like, she says, you know, you're a great tutor. One of the things that he says, though, I think is really great, is he says all traps are beautiful. Like that's Hmm. why they're traps. (laughs) They're beautiful. Uh, Which is which is a really great great moment. But yeah, he leaves her behind, and then she wanders off. What I like about her wandering off is in so much. Uh, doctor Who, quite frankly, when the companion wanders off, the companion immediately gets into, into danger and into jeopardy. And that doesn't really happen with her here. Like, she, when she wanders off, she either finds the doctor or she finds more information. She, like, finds the old lady. She finds the kid. She keeps yeah. getting more information about what's going on instead of being uh, sort of left to get into, into a situation that the doctor needs to come and save her. And I appreciate it. So she
1: she wasn't really in peril uh, very much.
0: No, no more than anybody in that city was in peril, right?
1: Yes, yeah. um, Yeah. I did think that there was the bit where he goes down to the engine room and she says, you know, it's like in this area and it's, you know, surrounded by nothing on the map. And I was expecting there to be some plot significance to that. Right. But really all it seemed to be was like. It just reminded me of the um, Obi Wan shutting down the shield generators. You know, he goes out onto this little platform, and there's this thing in the center. Um, and it, I, I think generally with the episodes, the I liked the way it was directed. It was the same director who did the pilot, yeah, uh, Lawrence Gough. Um And I, yes, I really liked the, the look of it.
0: Yeah, that was a that was a weird thing that I think was just like. Yeah, there's a big space around it, and and uh, yeah, I, I expected kind of a sweeping shot that I don't think I saw. That was like the payoff mm. of oh, here he is now. I did laugh. It's a Fleischman cold fusion engine. I saw the
1: same as well. And yes.
0: Fleischman and Pons were the guys at the University of Utah who said that they had invented cold fusion, and then it was turned out it turned out to be yeah. a, a fake. Uh, but it, apparently, they got something right in the doctor Universe because later. Um, and, and I did have to laugh. so here's here's one of my problems with the logic of this episode is at the end, the doctor basically realizes, um, well, first off, they discover that all the people are already there. They're not coming in the ship. They already were there in the ship. This is not the kind of thing where you send the people ahead to prepare the site and then the ship lands. This is the other kind where the ship lands and everybody's in cold storage and you build the thing and then you wake up the people. So he decides he's going to blow up the ship. And and it leads to a really great gag, which I saw coming because I knew this was going to be like... but it didn't matter. It was still really funny, which is he disassembles pieces of the cold fusion drive to blow up the ship. And then they realize that there are people all the people are already there and he says well this is no good and he goes back and he has to undo everything he did all of his sabotage he has to like put the the tubes back and flip the switches and all that and that made me laugh i think that's a good gag um and then later in the episode he solves the problem of the robots by rebooting them basically and wiping their memory and and it's literally a reset button uh which you know happens in television so here we get the robots are completely they get a reboot they get to start again my, my only problem, and again, like I said, I enjoy the episode, but it doesn't really, I think, withstand a lot of scrutiny is I kind of don't believe that the doctor would, one, just leap to that conclusion, at least without him sort of like, maybe if I had seen him lo- logic it through a little bit so that I could have seen him come to a reasonable conclusion and then be wrong, but I felt like he just leapt to, I'm going to blow this thing up. Not ever considering the fact that the, he might be, the, the ship might be a sleeper ship. And likewise with the robots, did he not at any point think, what if I just take my sonic screwdriver and turn it off and back on? And again, yeah. I don't think there was a lot of, there wasn't any dialogue to support like why he thought that wasn't the case that they set up earlier. Maybe I missed it. But so in both cases, I I, I ended up saying, really, doctor, you're only getting to this now?
1: <laughs> yeah. And and I don't understand just by switching them off and on again how they've kind of forgotten their prime directives and and all their programming. Yeah, I think it would take I think take there, a bit more work.
0: There is some dialogue there where um, where they try to they try to explain it and then they sort of simplify it. Where it's like you, you turn it on and off. Yeah, I turned it on and off. But you know what he does say I. I reset them to their to their original state before they so they don't have any memory of what was going on and you know they're just I they're just here to serve but I had that same thought which is well aren't they going aren't they going to go to the same place that they did before and maybe the answer is no because now they're sentient so they're going to they're going to behave completely differently but um but yeah it's just it, that, that was the abrupt ending I was talking about earlier which is mm. it all comes you know basically well we're running out of time here sort of sonic screwdriver flip a switch do a thing and now everything we're all good now everything's yeah. okay uh, everybody will be fine we're out of there we're back in the TARDIS and everybody's happy and now
1: you have to um, make friends and live with the, the sentient robot um,
0: Nata- not robots natives natives of this planet right But they, they, I got almost a, uh, I don't know if I want to say like a Douglas Adams vibe, but it was something like that where it was, it was, well, they're built to serve and they've got an empty city, so they probably want you to stay, right? Hmm. You need to negotiate with them, but what good is a city full of servitor robots if there aren't people living in it right and so presumably they'll be inclined to be their partners but that too talk about star trek again that too felt like a star trek ending right which is well captain kirk says i guess you'll have to learn to live together <laughs> <laughs> beam beam me up and i'm out of here and you know yeah. it could have it been a star trek episode it's, maybe that's why i like it because it's almost like a star trek episode you do you, you, you 2 you're just gonna have to learn to live in harmony well i've completely screwed up your society goodbye i'm leaving. <laughs> I won't check in on you I'm again. Never going to check back. Well, that is. Bill says, "Are they going to be okay?" He says, "Well, who knows? You know, they got, they got every opportunity to work it out. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna check. It's great. That, that made <laughs> me laugh. And in a thing that Doctor Who, I think, used to do all the time, but doesn't do a lot lately um, in the new series. Even it's the running directly from one story into another. Um, which I always thought was pretty cool, especially in the old days of the classic series where they'd want to pull you from serial to serial. So sometimes they would do this, but it doesn't happen as much in the new series, which is we are led to the doorstep of next week's episode in this episode where he acts like they're going back home. And in fact, they're at the Frost Fair on the Thames in the past, and that's what next week's episode is about. And not only does that get them away from the kind of Nardole thing, but hmm. uh, I think it's I think it's fun to pull them along. The only people who will be sad will be like big finish and fan fiction writers and novelists of Doctor Who novels because you can't fit stories in between these two stories. It's they directly flow from one to the other. But for me as a TV viewer, it's great, right? It's like I don't even need a next time trailer because we just had it. The we've left our characters. At the doorstep of of next week's episode, that's that was and wonderful. there
1: are elephants and everything
0: that did not expect to see an elephant standing on the ice like that. That was uh that was fun. So yeah, so I'm looking forward to to next week's too. Um, but yeah, I thought this was fun. I thought this was a fun episode. Did you like Did you like it overall? What's your overall? Yeah, background? I mean, I liked
1: it. I, I could I'm always I think sort of. A, Uh, a bit worried about the second episode Mm -hmm. in the seasons because usually you've got a sort of fairly strong opener and then the second one will be something I I think the last well one of the ones we talked about previously it was like Into the Dalek and things like this
0: yeah well and The Beast Below is a good example where that was and I think The Beast Below is terrible I think it's I think even Moffat has said that it just didn't it wasn't what anybody expected and it was just bad it's just bad so you're right there's a real risk there
1: but no, I, I it, it was certainly better than expected, and it was much better for me anyway. In to in the Forest of the Night, yeah. Um, so I liked it, and I think the, the fact that I what I liked most about it, as we said, was the sort of the fact that not a lot happened
0: mm-hmm.
1: for the first sort of you know twenty five minutes or something, and they were just given a chance to sort of talk to each other, and yeah, they, they were they were discovering things, but it, um, it, it, there was a lot of. Just you know, oh, let let's wander down this uh, very futuristic-looking uh, area and yeah. have a conversation, the, and then yeah,
0: the uh, Doctor Who is an adventure series, right? And part of the idea of Doctor Who, and certainly if you're Bill and you're uh, embarking on this new journey with the Doctor. You want to have that feeling of exploring and discovering new things and being excited about it. And so to take the time and get that feeling in episode two after we just met you in episode one it's like I think that's a great time to do this and have this feeling like we don't need to be immediately plunged into you know an entire episode of drama and excitement and you know who's going to survive. I think maybe getting getting that moment to take a deep breath on a, while standing on the surface of an alien world and be like I can't believe i'm doing this and being there you know being there with her doing that i yeah i give it, giving them that space to have that i'm all for that because it's early in the season things are going to spin out of control there's going to be a lot of drama there's going to be a lot of scary monsters give us a little bit of that moment out in the sun and among the wheat in spain planet spain yeah before we I did like go there yeah I, I did
1: like her justification when he said, you know, do you want to go past the future? And she's like, future, obviously. You know, I want to see if it's happy.
0: Mm. Well, everybody's smiling. Yeah. And there's an emoji.
1: I did like uh, just the, the, one of the things was the so there was the the dead woman and she had the book at the the foot of the sort of plinth that she was on and it had the screen embedded in it right and I was having these missed flashbacks because it was just the, the the visual of the book with with like the little video playing in it
0: also t- it was totally an iPad <laughs> in a book yes and yeah. um uh so and that leads to the classic Doctor Who reference of the week which is. Uh, and, and it's a nice moment. She sees human history and then she sees like lots of terrible things happen. And she says, is this bad? Was, you know, w- were there terrible things that happened in the future? And the doctor says, yes, Earth was evacuated, but there were a number of ships that left. I bumped into a few of them and I thought, well, that's an arc in space reference if ever yeah, there was yeah. one, which is great. For classic, like in Doctor Who canon, which doesn't exist, but if we want to call it back, one of the ideas is that at some point in human history, humans have to leave Earth because of horrible solar flares, I think is the explanation they give. And so they, they kind of abandon the Earth while, while it's kind of uninhabitable, and then they go back. And that's the premise of Ark in Space. And, and, uh, and so I like that reference. I bumped into a few of them. Like, you know,
1: I oh, I also had to look up the name of the ship, which was Erahorn or something, yeah. which is nowhere backwards. And apparently that's a a Samuel Butler novel from the eighteen what did I write down, eighteen seventies or something? About, you know, a utopia where that something's not quite right. Right. So
0: And I think um, I think in, in uh Doctor Who magazine again, uh Frankly Charles Bryce said something like that 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 the idea the initial idea of the story was kind of uh you know in a utopia like what is and getting ready for the utopia and what if there's something wrong in the utopia but but i like the change of pace too so many dystopias out there now that it was kind of fun to say no no here is the utopia that we've built and it's not quite what they expected but in the end the humans get to live in their in their new utopia
1: But, yeah, if you you are going to, like, send out a ship to, you know, find a a new civilization, probably don't name it after a utopia where something's gone slightly wrong.
0: I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. I also should say, because it's uh, pretty cool, that this, and this may be the first time this has ever happened on Doctor Who, these days, in the last decade and a half, um, humans real humans on present day earth have discovered thousands now of exoplanets which are real planets that we can tell are orbiting around real stars in our galaxy this planet is uh glaze 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 581d it is a real exoplanet Hmm. so they are uh they're using the you know distinction, the 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 catalog distinction based on the uh, on the on the the tools that they use to to build to find this thing, find the little waves that indicate it. I am not going to explain how exoplanets work. I, I have a whole podcast called Liftoff if you want to hear about that. <laughs> but uh, but it's it's so it, this planet is is named from a as a from a real exoplanet uh which is a first. I think I thought that was kind of cool. Like take take that page, rip that page out of uh out of the the headlines, out of the newspaper and say this is that planet.
1: Which yeah, is- well I mean like like naming the the swarm robots after an actual professor in swarm robotics. I think that all their little references seem to be on point.
0: Yeah, this is the Gliese uh, 581d was the first exoplanet found that was roughly earth sized. It's a little it's bigger and uh, within the habitable zone it probably wouldn't be quite as nice as what we see on screen but perhaps our measurements got it a little bit wrong we who knows but it's a nice shout out and i think that it's fun that we live in a world where science fiction novels and tv shows and movies can cook up alien planets and choose real alien planets as their setting that's pretty cool (laughs) all right anything else we didn't cover um i don't think there was anything
1: major i i noted that pretty much everyone we encountered was south asian british Mm -hmm. and i i wasn't sure what their uh thinking was behind that um but it was just something i noted um what else Have i got i written, noted there?
0: yeah well I, what i noted was the head coverings and the women in the beginning too and that was a very particular choice they made which is um yeah i think i mean everybody in space and doctor who has a has an english accent so well of course yes so that goes without saying but yeah but the the fact that they were that this seemed to be at least largely a uh a sort of south asian or south asian extraction colony ship that that was yeah forming this colony i thought that was that was a choice right that was that was interesting and most of them survived. <laughs> Although I I, I I hate that they're they're like, oh, the very best of them, the gardeners and the people who they needed out. And I was like, well, okay, well, they're going to form a society without those people. <laughs> well, I hope. Yeah, hope, hope they kept the manuals. Yeah, and I hope they saved some just like
1: in reserve, just yeah. in case. I, I did like the line about um, the, you know, lectures being the opposite of a massacre.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was wondering what would be the opposite of a massacre. Like a rave... Uh, a party I think I shouted a party but it's no, a lecture the doctor <laughs> thinks a lecture is the opposite of a massacre of course he does alright well we'll roll on to the Frost Fair next week uh, which will be another fun episode I, I I know that Mark Gatiss is doing a um a uh a, an Ice Warriors episode, and I keep getting it mixed up with this one. But this is not that. This is this is a uh, Thin Ice by Sarah Dollard uh, next week uh, about the Frost Fair. In uh, said in the past, Mark Edis's uh, episode will come later, later. So we don't have to deal Sweet. with it yet. Um, not that I'm spoiling anything about Mark. I'm I'm ambivalent about Mark Edis's episodes. Sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're not. <laughs> the last one was yes. not
1: and we'll not base it on any recent Sherlock either
0: no I don't want to talk about Sherlock stuff alright well thanks to everybody out there for listening to this TV Flashcast about Doctor Who season 10 episode 2 smile smile emoji and thank you James Thompson for joining me uh, once again to talk about Doctor Who
1: it was great a pleasure I'll just go off and make a cup of tea and talk to you later very nice
0: thanks everybody goodbye see you next week on the incomparable